0: Welcome to the O'Reilly Hardware Podcast. I'm Brian Jepson,
1: And I'm Jeff Lyle. Our guest today is Mike Vladimir, co-founder of the Orange IoT Studio at Orange Silicon Valley. Mike's focus is on IoT communication, and we talk to him about the studio's projects, how it's gotten easier to prototype connected devices, and the use of the LoRa, L-O-R-A, wireless protocol. Enjoy the show. Mike Vladimir, welcome to the podcast.
2: Thanks so much. Happy to be here.
1: Let's set the stage for our discussion. I think some of our U.S. listeners might be all that familiar with Orange. So can you give us uh, some background on Orange and then tell us about Orange Silicon Valley?
2: So what is Orange? Orange is one of Europe's uh, largest uh, telecommunications operators. If any of your listeners have been to Europe, they've probably seen our sign. It's probably as, about as ubiquitous as the Verizon or AT&T signs uh, here in America because uh, Orange provides very similar services, uh, you know, Enabling mobile phone communications. As far as my specific office, Orange Silicon Valley, uh, we are an innovation strategy office for Orange. So uh, one of the challenges that companies have anywhere around the world is to understand, you know, what are the coming trends? How are they going to affect our business? What what are the best practices uh, that we can adopt? And, you know, Silicon Valley, we're, we're based in downtown San Francisco. Um, the structure of our office is uh, we have a bunch of different dedicated teams uh, working on different uh, leading technologies. So I have colleagues that are working on augmented reality and virtual reality. I have colleagues that are working on uh, Bitcoin and blockchain. Uh, and as you mentioned, I, I co-founded uh, the Orange IoT Studio and our focus has been uh, specifically on IoT communications, a, a new technology called LoRa, L-O-R-A, where L-O is long and R-A is range, hence the name LoRa.
0: We'll get into more detail on LoRa in a minute. But at the moment, Mike, what's the state of the art for IoT communication? How are these devices talking to each other right now?
2: Cellular, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, anything else? Uh, yes, yes, and yes. Um <laughs> So I, I think uh, in order to think about IoT and, and IoT communications and what problem does LoRa solve, um, maybe we could take a step back for a minute and just talk about what is IoT. Because funny enough, uh, I go to lots of meetups and conferences and read a lot of articles, and it's pretty difficult to come by a compelling, uh, concise definition of what is the Internet of Things. Um, so the way I, I would define it, and this really I think helps frame everything. Uh, In the simplest sense, IoT is a solution to a user's problem. It's a tool um, that typically consists of components, hardware components, and software features. And the two key hardware components uh, are sensors and connectivity, and the two key software features are computation and user interface. Uh, If you don't have those four things, you don't have IoT. Uh, And when you put them together, what you get are sensors that measure the world around us, uh, some kind of communications that gets that data, those sensor measurements, out of the device into the cloud. And then you use computation in the cloud where you can crunch a bunch of data and, and get some meaning out of it, some insights, and then you expose those insights uh, to a user. For some people out there, because I, I realize it's kind of a tech-savvy audience, there are two optional uh, aspects of IoT that I just want to note in case you guys are shouting, wait, what about uh the two other things that I see often but don't have to be there one is batteries uh batteries are great cuz you can take your IoT device wherever you want you have to leave it tethered to the wall and actuators actuators are kind of the opposite of sensors so if a sensor takes what's happening in the real world and converts it to digital data like a uh you know a camera or a microphone converts light and sound into digital data actuators do the opposite uh they take that digital data and convert it to something in the real world like the way your display or your speakers convert digital data into light and sound so just, again, rehashing that recipe, uh, sensors, communication, computation, and user interface. Um, to answer your question concisely, I should say, uh, Brian, what you're asking about is how, how, does compu- how does the communications aspect of IoT work? And what is my experience there? So um, what I've seen is there's a plethora of different IoT communications uh, technologies at the end of the day, uh, it's just a bridge between the sensors that gather the data and the computation in the cloud, or you know, the actuator that you're trying to control from the cloud. But the the, the key thing I, I would say to keep in mind, and the key thing that's that's most important for me and and for our work in the studio, is that users don't really care about the communication; they want it to just work, and that's one of the biggest challenges I've seen with a lot of the technologies today.
0: So at the moment, before Laura is is widespread, and we're hearing about it everywhere. People are, are building things with other wireless technologies. So, so what is the, what's the state of things in, in the IoT for that right now?
2: Sure. So I, I think to understand IoT communications, you need to understand you know where we are, how we got here and where we need to go. Um, where we are today or is that uh, kind of what you were saying before? IoT uh, typically uses cell connectivity or Wi-Fi or Bluetooth. Um, those are probably the three technologies that most people have heard of. And then there's a bunch of other technologies like Zigbee and Z-Wave uh, that are less uh, well-known but are still out there. Um, just focusing on you know those core technologies of cell and Wi-Fi, I think the thing that you have to understand about them is they weren't developed with IoT in mind. They were developed with smartphones and laptops in mind. And the use cases around cell phones and laptops is completely different from IOT. And, and that's kind of what's prompted this opportunity around Laura. So, uh, one of the, the, the key things, uh, just to boil this down between the smartphones that we love and the IOT devices that we really like is that, uh, price point issue, uh, and the battery issue and, uh, you know, the charging. And the the thing that's kind of interesting here, the missed opportunity, is is the data rate. And and that's the the aspect of IoT where the situation kind of flips. So when you think about your laptop or your phone, we're consuming you know, megabytes of, uh, of audio. We're consuming gigabytes of video. Huge amounts of data that need to get sent over the network. With IoT devices, it's often just a couple bytes, less than kilobytes. You know, something like the door is open the light is on. <laughs> you know, um very small amounts of data. And so when when you think when I think about this at least, I think of the difference between like a fire hose where just tons of water is coming out, um, versus more like, you know, the garden hose with like the little sprinkler on the end where you want to make get a little bit of water on each plant. Um yeah. and so, you know, if, if that cell connectivity solution is super duper powerful, it's just too powerful, it's too much for IoT. And, and that's the problem that, that Laura and a lot of and similar technologies are trying to solve.
0: So let's we'll- say a cell carrier, you know, some of them do you know, drop the price of a, of a plan to a very small amount, maybe a, a dollar or two a month. There's sort of two parts of this question. Is that cheap enough? And second, even if you are using only a few kilobytes a month on mm-hmm. a cellular plan, um, what, what's the impact of that on your power budget?
2: So the first thing you asked was, you know, what if the carrier made the, the plan super cheap? You have to remember that there's actually two costs. There's the connectivity that you're going to pay the carrier and the bomb cost of having that, you know, 4G LTE chip in your device.
0: A spell out bomb, please. Uh,
2: sorry. <laughs> uh, bomb is bill of materials. Thanks. Um, sure. And so yeah, that, uh, that bill of materials cost. So yeah, if there's software people listening, uh, every single device that you ever built has a spreadsheet with it that lists every single part, how many of their, those little parts are in the device and what the cost of that part is. That's called the bill of materials or the BOM, B-O-M. So yeah, so the, the issue, it's, it's kind of like whack-a-mole. Like even if you could issue, uh, or, or have low connectivity, um, plans for IoT, you still have to deal with the cost of the components themselves. And so um, I, I can't give any specific numbers, but just to give like a sense of what we're what you want to see. You can think of 4G, LTE chips, the SIM cards, on the order of something like 10, $20. Like, these are, these are expensive components. At least th- those are numbers that I've seen, but I don't. Ten,
0: 10 or $20 for someone who's manufacturing in quantity, but somebody exactly. who's making 10 devices, they're probably looking more like 50 to to $100, right?
2: Exactly. And not to mention like, the cost of getting certified. There's, there's, there's all these costs if you want to take that route. And again, uh, those costs are reasonable for smartphones because we, spend a lot of money on our smartphones uh, rough price point for a smartphone let's call it a thousand dollars uh by contrast uh for internet of things the price point that we're going to look at is closer to a hundred dollars maybe a little bit more um so iot devices are 10x cheaper than And, and when,
0: when you say a thousand dollars for a smartphone I, th- I think you're talking about the uh un- unsubsidized
2: cost right exactly not exactly.
0: not the cost that i mean Consumers eventually pay it, yes. but it's made invisible to them.
2: Exactly. Sort of. So, in, so if you're if you think it's crazy that your smartphone call, you're paying a thousand dollars for your smartphone, uh, what you, what you haven't seen is that when you bought that that two year commitment to your carrier, that thousand dollars is being Part of what you're paying every month is, is the cost of the phone. Um, so even if it seems like it's free it's th- that, that's that's where I'm getting these numbers. And so the best one of the best examples I love to give with these economics are you know today one of my favorite IOT devices is the Tesla car. Um, Tesla has a 4G LTE chip in every one of their cars. At uh, IoTifies the car, it gives them all these great benefits, um, like gathering data about the driver's performance, updating the software of the car so that the driver can have, you know, a better version of autopilot, you know, every couple of months. Lots of great benefits, and <laughs> you could think of it as IoT connectivity comes free uh, with your Tesla; it's included with your hundred thousand dollar donation. <laughs> you know, so the thing is, um, the economics. Of connectivity, when you're when someone's paying $100,000 for a car completely breaks when they're paying $100 for a step counter or you know a connected garden device or a bunch of these other devices, uh, IoT devices. And so there's this gap in the market today where common connectivity solutions, most products are not $100,000. Most IoT products are not even $1,000, and because of that, you need connectivity that is cheaper.
1: Cool. Well, Mike, let's switch for a moment from you know from the consumer side to the to the developer side. Um, mm-hmm. What what kind of devices or potential devices do you think have been hampered or uh, not been able to have been built uh, because of the issues with Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, etc.?
2: <sighs> That's a great question, um, but I almost want to challenge it in the sense that. So I would argue that today, the, the problem is not that we can't build devices. That, that I, w- I think it has never, ever been easier to build anything. Uh, software a- with APIs, uh, hardware with lots of components coming out of the gate. The problem is um, twofold. First, I, I think, solve, it's finding actual, finding what's worth building. Uh, you know, I, I see you know some people saying, "You know, I'm going to connect my toaster oven to my television set." Could we do that? Yeah, you could. You could hack that together, you know, pretty quickly, and if you wanted to, um, for yourself, and if you wanted to build that into some products, you could do that as well. But the thing is, that adds a lot of complexity for the user, and it doesn't create real value. It doesn't make the television set or the toaster oven really any better. And so, I, I think that the The problem that in the market today is, is much more about how do I create value? Um, and so specifically, it's not a matter of, uh, you know, I wish I could connect these things. It's what, what, what's not being built today are devices that are really easy to use that, uh, that are not being built. You know, if the user is willing to put in enough effort, the engineer can, can build a solution for them. Um, price points have gone down enough, um, like components are small and cheap. Maybe, maybe like just by way of illustration, I I would give an example, um, where this is actually the exception from the rule is dealing with wireless IOT scales. So if you want to weigh yourself every day, there's a handful of IOT scales on the market. I've tested a handful of them out. Some use Wi-Fi, some use Bluetooth. At the end of the day, they're all trying to get data out of the scale and into the internet. And they, the ones that I've tried all cost about a hundred bucks, hundred to two hundred bucks, depending upon the model. And I can tell you, to be fair, I haven't, I did this like at least a year ago, if not more, but when I tried it, these devices were really clunky. They, the connection dropped or there was just some, there was a huge amount of effort that I had to put in as a user to get that data out of the, out of the scale into the internet where it could be more useful. So could people build IoT scales today? Yes, they're already doing it. Could they build easy-to-use IoT scales today? Uh, in many cases, not, um, because most users are not going to want to pay for a fancy, expensive scale more than a hundred bucks or whatever. That said, the exception that proves the rule is a company called Omada Health. Um, Omada is a really interesting company that provides this kind of comprehensive solution for people with pre-diabetes. So if you know you're about to get diet if you you have like these bad habits um you're you're probably putting on a bunch of weight it's going to you're about to incur a ton of cost uh for because diabetes is expensive to treat and of course it's not comfortable no one enjoys it so um they have these users who are trying who really do want to change their habits but just don't know how and so amada has this comprehensive system to do it you know they engage through a mobile app they have coaches one of the most important aspects of their system is an IoT scale and because the problem of prediabetes is actually a really uh, high value problem that people spend, you know, thousands of dollars, I think, or whatever their companies often, their healthcare provider will spend thousands of dollars to keep them from becoming diabetic. The economics have flipped for Omada such that it made sense for them to IOTify their scale with a uh, SIM card, which is different from those other scales. And so for their users, the, the scale arrives at their home. They, they turn it on and. Ta da, the data goes straight to the internet and appears in their phone. No painful Wi Fi setup, no painful Bluetooth setup, and definitely no problems with the device falling off the network and the user having to go through the whole painful process again. So I think um, it's not a matter of could we IoTify it. It's how can we make products that are as easy to use as at Mata scale.
1: So this, Mike, is where Laura comes in, right? So can you kind of give us a, a, a primer on what Laura is?
2: Sure. Um, so everything we've talked about up till now is about this trade-off between, you know, expensive, uh, energy and sucking, uh, components that work well in the smart, in the cell phone context, um, versus IOT devices that need to be low cost, low power and have a much lower data rate. And so that's where LoRa fits in. Again, LO, LO is long, RA is range. And LoRa is a low cost solution that uses little, a little bit of energy especially a lot less than other connectivity solutions. Um with the trade-off being that it's low data rate. And so full disclosure, there's there's other uh solutions that are coming into the market. The reason that we've chosen to focus on LoRa here in the Orange IoT studio is um Orange, our parent company, uh made the strategic decision to invest in LoRa and to deploy LoRa uh around uh France. And I think we did about a hundred deployments last year and Sorry, we did about 20 deployments last year, and I think we're on track to do something like 100 deployments in 100 cities this year. Um, That's all public. In case you're curious about competitors, people talk about a company called Sigfox. They have a similar end-to-end solution that has comparable benefits of uh, low-cost, low-energy, low low data rate. There's talk coming around um, different LTE-type technologies, m one and some other things. So I I think there's definitely a consensus in the market that um, there's a hole that needs to be filled for IoT devices that are just very different from smartphones. And LoRa is one of the solutions that's, that's in the market today that uh, solves that problem. Uh, since we're speaking in English and not in French, and I, most of your listeners, I would bet, are in America, um, I can mention that uh, one of the companies that we've worked with here is called uh, Senet, uh, S-E-N-E-T. Uh, so Senate Corporation, SenateCo.com, they provide a public LoRa network and, uh, we partnered with them to develop a quick start project, uh, to allow any engineer that's curious, uh, to spend eh, less than a thousand dollars on hardware and send some data over LoRa, uh, within, you know, just a few hours. Uh, you know, it's, it's a basic, very basic quick start project, but if you want to see what it's like, um, you now have that ability as long as there's, um, Senate coverage in your area. If there isn't, um, you could actually work with Senate to just get a gateway and, uh, put it up and get, create Senate coverage for yourself. Pretty straightforward.
1: How how widespread is Laura coverage Um, or Laura deployments now?
2: I've got that question pretty regularly. And the thing I say is, you know, we haven't seen the commercials in a long time, but for those of us that remember the old Verizon commercial, Can You Hear Me Now, um, from 15 years ago, I, th- that's the stage that I would describe uh, Laura being in. So, uh, Senate has a network. Um, they're located uh, in the New England area, so the network's pretty strong over there. They also deployed it in the Bay Area, in California, uh, between San Francisco and San Jose, where where I am. Uh, they have deployments in the Midwest. Um, I know Comcast, uh, they're also making a, an investment in Laura. They're doing some pilot, uh, programs right now. I think it also here in the bay as well as in uh, Philadelphia, their hometown. So it, it's, it's, on one hand, it's early days. There's not a ton of coverage. The advice I give to any developer is, you know, if you're interested in trying this out because you're curious, great. Uh, if you're trying to, uh, build a product on this, network that you know would work this uh, would have the same ubiquity as a smartphone like anywhere you go in the country you expect coverage uh it's probably too soon but i don't expect it to stay that way for long I, I think you know between senate and comcast and who knows how many other companies are going to get in this market there's definitely more and more LoRa, more and more iot connectivity solutions uh coming really quickly
0: so if somebody wanted to get started with this what would they, where would they start and how much would it cost them to get, you know, like a, a module and, uh, c- connectivity and software tools.
2: Maybe actually a, a good way to answer that question is to just get a little bit into the technical details uh, mm-hmm. of, yeah. of Laura. So yeah. like, um, you
0: know, like, can, can you go, you know, go to Adafruit and buy a module? Can you go to, you know, um, Mauser or, or, you know, that, that, that sort
2: of. Sure. So the, the thing to know about Laura, um, is that it's uh, it's backed by something called the LoRa Alliance. The LoRa Alliance is a consortium of um, companies that are all uh, collaborating on Laura. And part of that collaboration means that there's multiple vendors for uh, for everything, basically. And that's part of the strength of using this technology is the the, the market dynamics of having this collaboration. Uh, so the backstory on Laura is, it was created by a company called Semtech, uh, S-E-M-T-E-C-H, Semtech. They've, so, and they make integrated circuits. And so they've licensed their integrated circuit technology to other companies. Those integrated circuits go on, in, into devices. So the, uh, so one example, the company that we've used their devices is called Multitech. And there's multiple chip vendors out there, not just Semtech. There's multiple device vendors out there, not just Multitech. Um, like one example I know, microchip makes LoRa devices. So if someone's interested in this, they have a handful of options to choose from. There's not just one game in town. So places that we've purchased uh, hardware ourselves. One is DigiKey. So the the key thing to know with LoRa is, uh, you have this, you have two important parts. Uh, you have nodes, uh, and you have gateways. So the node is the component that goes in your connected device. So if you want to, You know, if we're talking about the smartphone analogy, it's like the connectivity component that sits in your phone. Uh, by contrast, you have the gateway. Uh, the gateway communicates with a bunch of nodes and it takes the information from the nodes and sends it to the internet. Uh, either through a cell, a SIM card that it has inside or through an ethernet connection or however it wants to get it, however the user you want to send it there. Um, so if you want, if you're sticking with the project that I made, uh, you're going to need to use the Senate network. So if you're in the Bay, uh, I can tell you there's Senate coverage here, so you don't need to buy the gateways. If you are in Alaska, <laughs> where I know they don't have coverage, and there's other places they don't have coverage, um, and you want to set up uh, Senate yourself, uh, you can go buy uh, – you'll, you'll need to buy a gateway as well and work with Senate to uh, get their firmware on that gateway. Um, so you can get the data from the device, into the node wirelessly over LoRa to the gateway and then eventually to the internet. So yeah, DigiKey is one place to buy this, uh, Symmetry Electronics, uh, they sell some of these gateways. I believe you could even reach out to Senate directly. Um, I, I spoke to them late last year and they were planning on, uh, offering, I believe that they were offering, uh, pre-configured gateways for sale. Um, it just hadn't, I, I haven't heard from them whether or not they've executed on that plan yet. The, the one other thing I should mention, um, as far as hardware goes, is as with a lot of technologies where it's early days, you're going to hear a lot of different terms. Many of them are overlapping. So for that component that goes in the device, I'm calling it a node. Sometimes it's called a, a, an M dot. It uh, stand, stands for the multi-tech dot. There's also a network tester that Semtech sells, uh, which I've found extremely useful in determining whether or not my, my network is working because Whenever I was dealing with debugging issues, I always had to figure out, is it the network or is it the device? And the network tester is great for that. Um, so that's called uh, a moat, the North American moat, or the NORAM mote, M-O-T-E. So about how much does it cost to get started with
0: you know, the simple project that, that you've been working on?
2: Our project uh, costs less than a $1,000. And depending upon, as cheap as like a couple hundred. Um, it all depends on whether or not you need that gateway um, mm-hmm. and, and how fancy you want to be. So I love rapid prototyping, and one of my favorite tools for rapid prototyping is called LittleBits. Um, I think it, it's originally designed for um, use in schools, but as far as electrical engineering, rapid prototyping, it just could not be faster. And the LittleBits, if you've never used it, think of like Legos meets electronics. You can snap together a power supply to a button, to an LED within seconds, and you have your circuit. And if you decide, you know what, you don't like the, bu- the button, you want to use a dimmer instead, you rip out that component, stick it in the next one, and you're set. It- it's really, really powerful for rapid prototyping. Great. That said, you have to pay for it. <laughs> um, so the, each little bits uh, component costs on the order of 10 bucks. So it really adds up really fast. By contrast, if you want to do this cheaply, you could uh, go to Adafruit and get the same sensors, and you'll have to buy you know, resistors and uh, some additional components, it'll, it'll de- like a breadboard, um, and you can do that much more cheaply.
0: Thanks. And, and what about the recurring monthly costs with, with Senate, if somebody were to get signed up with them?
2: So Senate is, uh, they recognize that it's early days and they want to encourage, ex- uh, experimentation. So I believe, uh, you can get 10 devices on their network for free. Wow. Um, yeah. As long as you don't exceed their data limits or anything, you shouldn't have a problem. I've never had a problem and, uh, we have a couple ongoing, uh, projects in our office that use the Senate network. So yeah, so, so far so good. And, uh, just in case anyone's like trying to think, what does frequency of use mean? We have one project that tends to send uh, a, a data packet of about a hundred bytes every three minutes, um, something in that order. And it, it works just fine. It's, it's been working for months.
1: Uh, so like so I saw on your, your website, meaning the orange IOT studio yep. site, um, that you're encouraging entrepreneurs, startups to contact you and that you can help them with their prototyping or, or other aspects of development, um. Are there certain kind of projects or certain kind of connected devices that, that you've gotten involved in?
2: Great question. So yeah, so we have two projects uh, so far that we're involved in, and we're always looking for uh, more. That that re- the, the key criteria that we look for is just we want to find and highlight really compelling use cases. So, like I said, Orange IoT Studio is part of Orange Silicon Valley, the innovation strategy office for Orange. And so... Uh, we want to find these really compelling use cases that we could take back to our colleagues uh, around the world so that they can kind of open people's minds. to, you know, wow, we could now do this with Laura. Wow, this is great. So on that note, um, we com- we've been working with two companies. One's called uh, Sutro. The other one's called Food Origins. And we worked with them to take that quick start project that we've been talking about to rip out their current connectivity, to replace it with Laura and to highlight that use case. So, uh, just to tell you a bit more, so Sutro, um, they solve the problem of monitoring water quality. Uh, if you remember, uh, and specifically, uh, so they're starting, their go to market is with pools and they're expanding to many other industries. Like, I guess I, I I can't get into their their roadmap, but there's, there's a lot of places that you can think of where water quality matters. All that said, if you think about pools today, if you remember just a few months ago, back at the Rio Olympics, their pools turned green and The the point is that even professionals have trouble. So you can imagine how hard it can be for, you know, a residential pool owner. And it's because, you know, people up till now have been using this, you know, decades old technology where you have to walk out to the pool, take a water sample, tediously, uh, add some drops, figure out the pH. But even if you have the pH, it doesn't solve the problem because you actually just want to know, you know, do I add, you know, pH up or down to the pool? If so, how much? All these things, it's a really tedious process. And it's expensive. People spend thousands of dollars a year on this in some cases. Um, so Sutro solves it with an IoT device that floats in your pool, constantly monitors uh, the, wa- the status of the water, and lets you know through your phone what you care about. Either, yes, the water is fine, go take a dip. Or no, there's a problem with the pool, and here's how to fix it. And so uh, the key thing that I hope your ear is perked up on is the device floats in the pool and sends the data to the internet. Uh, today, they use Wi-Fi, and uh, it, it works good, but it could definitely be better, um, as with a lot of these IoT devices that use Wi-Fi. You know, it's something that uh, tech-savvy audiences are comfortable with, um, but non-tech-savvy audiences, which is the majority of our country, uh, aren't. And so we did a proof-of-concept project with them to rip out the Wi-Fi and to stick in LoRa, and uh, we actually have it in our office right now. That was the uh, device that I was referring to that sends data every three minutes. Uh, and it works great. It, it really highlights why Laura can be so powerful. The data that is gathering is really small amounts of data. When I'm saying bytes, I mean bytes. So it's, you know, the water temperature is 72 degrees Fahrenheit. The uh, pH is 7.6. You know, we're, we're not talking huge amounts of yeah. data. By contrast, they want to, of course, keep the device affordable. So Laura works well there. And they want the device to float in your pool, and it's not going to be a good device if you have to charge it every night. <laughs> in fact, uh, they, they've designed the device so that you only have to charge it every couple months. So that's really what I'm talking about uh, with providing value. The thing that I think that's where, where, you know, like the mind expanding, like, whoa, this is going to be a new world um, that I see with with this proof of concept project is I can imagine a world now based on this proof of concept. Obviously, we got to roll it out, but you can imagine a world where you go to Home Depot and you, you buy your Sutro that's already connected with LoRa. Just the same way when you go to the AT&T store, you can walk out with a working smartphone. Uh, you walk out of Home Depot with your already internet connected Sutro device. Uh, on the Sutro device is some kind of unique identifier. Maybe it's, it's a code. Maybe it's a QR code, whatever. Some, some way for you to claim, you know, this is my device. Send this data to my smartphone. You take it home. You dump it in the pool. Immediately you start getting, you know, the data that the, the insights that you're looking for, not just the raw data, the pH is 7.2 or, you know, the pH is 8.3. You need to put in some pH down, uh, bring that pH level down. It, it tells you everything you need to know really seamlessly. And then because Sutro is monitoring your, uh, your, your pool water and all the chemicals you add, it can let, pool owner know when they need to add new chemicals so sutro integrated with amazon's api for uh, dash replenishment service and if you want to go really crazy you can imagine like this complete integration between sutro and amazon where you know a notice comes up that says your pool needs some more chlorine click this button for the amazon prime air drone to drop some some two chlorine tablets in your pool to fix the problem (laughs) you know it's it's it, it it's funny. It's like it's like, but everything we're, I'm saying is actually possible oh, now. Yeah. And, and the the key thing is this isn't this is why I'm so excited about this. It isn't about Laura. Like who, nobody cares about Laura. Nobody cares uh, about what's going on exactly under the hood. They all they want to know is like I have this wonderful seamless experience with my pool. And you know, if geeks like me wanna high five each other that, that we got the are working under the hood, you know, more power mm-hmm. to us. Uh but I, I think that really delighting the user. That that's the thing that, that gets me excited in the morning.
0: Mike, if people want to get in touch with you, follow your activities, tell you about the cool thing they're working on,
2: where can they find you online? So personally, the best way to reach me online by far and away is Twitter. Uh, I'm pretty active on Twitter. Uh, My handle is just my name. Um, So if you're looking at this podcast, it'll probably have my name. It's got a bit of a funky spelling. So I'm at Mike Vladimir. Uh, The funky spelling is Vladimir. It's V-L-A-D-I-M-E-R. People often will spell it differently, but it's Vladimir I-M-E-R. If you want to engage with our studio, um, we have a contact form on our studio webpage. So the website is orangeiotstudio.com. No spaces, no dashes, nothing fancy. Um, So yeah, those are the the two ways to do that. Here, I've also been uh, giving a talk a bunch, uh, which you can look out for. Uh, It's called From Disappointing to Delightful, How to Build with IoT. Uh, And I talk about um, the consistent, repeatable ways that I've seen IoT fail so that we can identify them and avoid disappointing our users and really try to build uh, compelling, delightful devices.
1: And and people can see that talk online?
2: Yeah, um, I've I've posted that on YouTube. Um, I just gave it uh, recently at a, most recently at a meetup called Designers and Geeks. Uh, They had a few of us come speak. So I posted uh, a version of the talk there uh, on YouTube from last week.
1: Well, Mike Flannery, this is, this has been great. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Uh, thanks so much, guys. This has been a lot of fun.
1: Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe via iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or TuneIn so
0: you'll never miss an episode. And you can visit us at O'Reilly.com slash hardware. For the O'Reilly Hardware Podcast, I'm Brian Jepson, And I'm Jeff Blyle.